Nehemiah was having a hard time getting to sleep at night. And when Nehemiah would wake up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., it wasn't to make a ham sandwich. It was because he was worried about his people. His home was on fire, not his house, not the place he was living in, his home, his place where his ancestors lived. They needed him and he needed to be there, but he was so far away and he needed to figure out a way to get back to them. Today we're going to learn about how Nehemiah found his purpose and build a bridge. We've been talking the last few weeks about building a bridge. And today we're going to talk about building a bridge to God's purpose in your life. Um, so as Pastor Andy said, if you have your YouVersion app or a Bible or some type of a device that contains said Bible, um, please open it to Nehemiah. We're going to look in chapter 2. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament right after Ezra. And uh, we're going to read verse 17 and verse 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for the, the chance to preach, the chance to hear your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth right now are not my words, but the words that you want everybody to hear. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's back up to how Nehemiah and how the Israel got to this point. So Nehemiah lived around 450 BC, about 500 years previous to this, Israel had actually been a great kingdom. It had great kings like David and Solomon. But after the reign of Solomon ended, they had had some weak and sinful kings. The kingdom had divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The ten tribes went to the northern kingdom. The other two tribes stayed in the southern kingdom. Um, after a while, the Assyrians took over the northern kingdom in 722 B.C., and then uh, Babylon took over the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was in 586. Babylon's policy was that whenever they would conquer a kingdom, they would exile all the people who were living there and make them go somewhere else. It'd be kind of like if the United States took over Canada and then we made everybody from Canada move to the United States, which would be really confusing to them when they wanted to vote for parliament or tried to use the metric system. But our curling and hockey teams would be amazing. Um, <laughs> So they lived in exile for almost 70 years, and then the Persians took over the Babylonians in 539 and then reversed that policy and told everybody that they could go home. So for almost 100 years, uh, people had been trying to go back to Jerusalem, but not many of them did. And by the time we get to Nehemiah, only about 2% of the population of Jews in Babylon had returned to Jerusalem. It's only about 50,000 people. Um, it'd just be like if your grandparents had been exiled here and then you know, 70, 100 years ago, and somebody came to you and said, hey, uh, the place where your grandparents are from, 800 miles from here, when they were exiled here seven years ago, you can go ahead and go back. How eager would you be to go back there? Probably not. If you had already established a life, you had a house, a job, if you have Cub Scouts on Monday, you're probably not going to be eager to just run right back to a place you've never lived before, especially if that place didn't have very many people or all the amenities that you're used to. So uh, this is where Nehemiah was at. And so 
he was so troubled by what he had heard, what, what, he had, what had happened, and the condition of the people, uh, he prayed that God would help him find his purpose. So first off in chapter 1 and verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So it doesn't say this um, implicitly in this scripture, but Nehemiah prayed to fill God's will. And he actually prayed for four months before he took any action. And spoiler alert, they rebuilt the wall, but uh, they only took them 52 days. So he prayed for four months for something that only took 52 days to accomplish. And there's a lot of times in scripture we find examples of people who went into long periods of prayer before they did some type of great action. Uh, Jesus, in the, in the high point of his ministry, stopped what he was doing and went into the desert and prayed and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Paul, the guy who wrote half the New Testament, as soon as he saw the vision of Jesus, he went into the desert and was there for three years. I mean, can you imagine if Paul had just like seen the vision of Jesus and then the very next week run up to the disciples and said, hey guys, uh, how you doing? My name is Paul. Used to be Saul. Now I'm Paul. Uh, I'm doing the whole rebranding thing. Um, hey, I just wanted to meet you guys. Uh, sorry about that whole stoning thing that happened last week. That was kind of a bad look, but uh, you know, I'm on your team now. So, uh, you know, maybe I could get bagels or are we good? We good? You know, he didn't do that. He went and prayed for three years before he started his ministry. Um, and there are times in your life before you find God's purpose, before you start acting on God's purpose for your life, maybe you need to enter into a time of prayer. Maybe you need to enter into a time of fasting. You know, some people during the Lenten season, uh, enter into a time of fasting where maybe they give up a meal or they give up a certain thing that they like. And the purpose of that isn't just for the discipline. It's so that every time you miss that thing, every time you get hungry, every time you get thirsty, every time you miss the Mountain Dew that you have in the morning, it's supposed to remind you of the thing that you're fasting for, of the thing that you're praying for, of the thing that you're focused on. And that's why it's so, it was so important to Nehemiah that before he did this great thing of going someplace and, and building a wall, that he took the time to properly pray. So what I would ask you is before you fulfill God's purpose in your life, how much prayer have you put into it? How much fasting have you done? How intently have you really focused on this thing that you're going to do? Secondly, uh, Nehemiah then developed a plan of action. So Nehemiah's job at this point was he was a cupbearer for the king. Now that job sounds easy because cupbearer, so you stand there and hold a cup. All right, I can do that. But actually there was a lot more to it. So one, Nehemiah was responsible for the king's safety. He was the guy that had to drink all the drinks before the king did. He had to eat all the meals before the king did. Uh, there were some job hazards with that, uh, you know, especially if somebody was trying to take out the king because, you know, it would get to you first. Um, but also, the cupbearer had a lot of influence on the king because he was around the king all the time. So usually the king would ask him for advice, got to know him very well. So in chapter 2 and verse 4, the king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, 
if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Um, so Nehemiah was taking a great risk here because he was so sad. Um, in the presence of the king, you were supposed to act happy. You were supposed to act like everything was fine. There was a lot of danger involved if you did act sad or did put, you know, put your feelings out there. But Nehemiah took that risk. And so what happened is he told Nehemiah what he wanted to do. And the, and the king, Artaxerxes, said, how long were your journey taken? When did you get back? And so they set a plan to action. And so the king put Nehemiah in a position to succeed. He put him with people who would help him succeed. Um, he gave him a letter to the governors of the trans-Euphrates. Uh, a letter was from the king that, that guaranteed you safe passage. Um, he sent another letter to Asaph, who was the keeper of the king's forest, because you had to have building materials if you were going to build a wall. Home Depot hadn't quite made it to Jerusalem yet, so he needed a place to get these things. Um, and so it's important that you find people who are going to help you fulfill God's purpose. And this reminds me of a, of a coworker of mine, Joey, um, who with his wife started a foundation called Nurturing Hope for the Nations, uh, which supports a school in Kenya. Joey's here today. He's the ruggedly handsome man sitting right over there. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, Joey told me this story about how he and his wife came to, to start this ministry. So at a young age, they both felt called to really follow God's purpose uh, in their lives. And, and this led them both to go to Africa, uh, especially his wife, Cameo, who at the age of 17 actually felt so strongly compelled to start an orphanage in Africa that she met with a lawyer to draw bylaws for this orphanage that didn't even exist yet. So they, uh, they both were able to travel to Africa several times. They both went to several different countries. They visited orphanages and different types of ministries. And then through some connections they had made over the years, um, ended up going to Kenya. So when they went to Kenya, they met somebody who was a social worker and a pastor. Um, no stress there, by the way, <laughs> both those jobs. Um, and they said to this pastor, you know, where is the need the greatest here? You know, Kenya is a country that's a little bit more religiously tolerant than some other African countries. So because of this, there is a lot of missions and a lot of ministries there. Um, so they said, where are people in need? Where is the need at? And the pastor told them, you need to go to Kibera. Kibera is the largest slum in Nairobi, which is the capital of Kenya. So they, they went to the slum and they started talking to people who live there. And they said, what is the greatest need here? What, what do you want? And over and over again, they heard, we need education for our children. We need to have good schools. Our children need to have education so they can succeed in life. So they found a school that was already there. Uh, the school was a small school. There was only about 60, 70 students there, a few teachers. And they talked to the teachers, and they said, you know, what can we do to help? And they said, well, to be honest with you, if you, we had $200 a month, we could feed this many kids and we could pay this many teachers. And so sacrificially at first, they started giving out of their own wallets to help the school. But then they started a foundation. They started nurturing hope for the nations. And so through a number of donors, um, that number they've now 
have 200 kids at the school and seven teachers. All those teachers are, are Kenyans. Um, and they just recently purchased a 20-acre school to build a boarding school and uh, for the price of $100,000. And all the labor and all the teachers are all Kenyans. And I think it's just so great. You know, you can take just a small, a small thing, a small purpose, and if you really pray and you really ask and you say, God, what can I do? What, what is your purpose for me? That he can make that grow and to something that's bigger and better, probably better than you could even ever imagine. And what they did to achieve this is God put people in their lives that would help them achieve that purpose. He put that pastor and that social worker in their lives. He put those teachers in their lives. And they took that and through prayer and through sacrifice, they built something that was great. And so... You know, when you're looking to fulfill God's purpose in your life, pray that God puts people in your life that can help you achieve that purpose, that can help you to meet that goal. Because you know what? You more than likely you can't be, do this by yourself. This isn't a you know a lone ranger mission where you go out and try to conquer the world or fix everybody's problem by yourself. You need to surround your people yourself with other people who are going to help you to achieve that purpose, just like Nehemiah did. So after he did that. He went to um, he went to Jerusalem, 800 miles from where he lived, and um, Nehemiah then faced opposition. There were people who were actually trying to prevent him from building the wall. In chapter two, verse ten, we read, "When Sanballat the Honorite, Tobiah the Amorite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites." So these two, Samballot and Tobias, are mentioned. And then later on in the chapter, we know of another person named Geshep the Arab. All these people were local leaders. They were from prominent families. They had their own lands. They had their own territories. Um, what's interesting here is Samballot and Tobias were both Jews. Uh, Geshem was an Arab. But you would think, why, why would a Jewish person not want to help somebody rebuild the wall of Jerusalem? Well, it wasn't for religious purposes. It was for, it was for political purposes. If Jerusalem was going to be a great city, then maybe their cities and their territories wouldn't be so great. And maybe they wouldn't be thought of so well. And so they wanted to stop them. You know, back then, if you wanted to be a great city, you didn't need all the stuff that cities need now. You don't need shopping malls, airports, toll roads, downtown soccer stadiums. But... But you had to have a wall. Uh, the wall was important because the wall kept, out, kept all your enemies out and it kept all the important stuff in. Um, and if your city didn't have a wall, then there probably wasn't much there worth protecting. So it was vitally important that Nehemiah fulfill his purpose of building the wall. So when you go to fulfill God's purpose in your life, you may you know, face opposition. You may face opposition from people who you think should be supporting you. You know, for instance, um, for those of you watching online who uh, may not live in the Orlando metropolitan area, we have a small mom-and-pop roadside attraction here called Walt Disney World. And um, when I was an eighth grader, they had this award. I don't know if they still do this, but it was called the uh, Disney Dreamer and Doer Award. And they would uh, have one award recipient from every school in the area. Um, I'm not really sure what the criteria was, but um, if your teacher in eighth grade felt that you, as an eighth grader, 
were uh, proficient in dreaming and then subsequently doing, then you would be awarded the Disney Dreamer and Doer Award. And um, so when I was in eighth grade, we had, our school was big enough that we had two sets of eighth grade teachers. We had um, the, you know, the set I was on and then a different set. And then in a building by itself on the opposite side of the school, you had the gifted building who had their own teachers and they were over there so that the rest of us didn't corrupt them. And um, <laughs> so one day in class, I was sitting in Mr. Hallmeyer's eighth grade history class and Mr. Hallmeyer kind of looked like um, if you combined um, Ernest Hemingway and Burl Ives, this was what Mr. Hallmeyer looked like. And um, he got up in front of us one day and said, yeah, we were supposed to nominate one of you for the uh, Disney Dreamer and Doer Award, and then the other team of teachers nominated somebody, and the Gifted Kid teachers nominated somebody. But um, we just decided to vote for the Gifted Kid because we didn't want to spend the entire meeting arguing about this. And besides, none of you deserve it anyways. Well, I showed him, because now I can read, I can write, and I can make a coherent sentence, 50% of the Tim. So, and you know, for all of the problems with that story, you know, the thing all these years later that hurts isn't the fact that I didn't get the award, because quite honestly, when I was in eighth grade, I did a lot of dreaming, but not a lot of doing. So, um, you know, the thing that hurt me the most was that somebody who was an adult, somebody who you thought had your best interests in mind said, you're not worth our time because you go to school in this building and not in that building. You know, and I am so glad that we serve a God that doesn't divide the world into winners and losers the way the rest of our world does. I, we serve a God that doesn't say to you, you can't accomplish this because you're the wrong race, you're the wrong gender, you were born in the wrong country, you belong to the wrong income bracket. Our God lets us achieve what he sets out for us to achieve. He puts a plan in front of you and he enables you to achieve that. You know, and a lot of times people who oppose you, oppose you for their own selfish reasons, oppose you maybe because they can't, achieve the thing that God wants them to do. And so they're, instead of trying to achieve that, they're going to bring you down. I'm sure people said to Pastor Andy before he started this church, why are you starting a church in Castleberry? They already have churches in Castleberry. Why are you starting a school in Africa? Why don't you help with the schools here? Why are you helping this person or that person? They're beyond help. They never help themselves. You know, there are always going to be people who try. And the more important the thing is that you're doing, the more that people are going to try to bring you down. But that's why, you know, if you put in the time and the prayer, God helps you discern that. Now, listen, there doesn't, doesn't mean that you shouldn't accept, you know, constructive criticism. You know, at the end of this sermon, Pastor Andy might come up to me and say, hey, Brian, really good sermon today, except for these 14 things that were bad. Uh, <laughs> this segment might be one of them. But, uh, you know, if you put in the time and you put in the prayer, God's going to help you to discern that. So finally, God, uh, Nehemiah worked with others to achieve God's purpose. I'm going to go back to the verse that we initially read. And you notice here that he said, let us build the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be in disgrace. You see the trouble that we are in. You know, it might have been really easy for Nehemiah to 
run into Jerusalem and show up and say, all right, everybody, Nehemiah's here. Watch out. Stand back while I build you this wall. I mean, and maybe he could have done that, but, you know, the people there wouldn't have had ownership over it. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been the wall that they built. It wouldn't have been the wall he built. You know, I think sometimes we as Christians, especially American Christians, have this uh, tendency to, to go someplace and just do something um, you know, unilaterally without consulting anybody else. Um, I read a story about a, a youth group that went to Tanzania and they laid bricks for this church and they were so inept at laying bricks that the elders of the church got up in the middle of the night and went and relayed the bricks overnight so that in the morning the youth group wouldn't realize how bad they were at laying bricks. Um, I read another story about a building in Brazil that six different groups come and paint this building six different colors in the same summer. Um, sometimes we, we think that we can go in and we can do all this stuff by ourselves and we can minister at people. We don't minister with people. Um, and I think the example here that Nehemiah sets is, is that he was, he was working with people. Um, you know, I go back to the example of, of Joey, you know, where they went to build the school. You know, uh, Joey and his wife could have raised a bunch of money and then plopped a school in the middle of Savannah and said, all right, everybody, here's your school. We got it for you. And people have done this. You know, they raise a bunch of money, they just plop a school down, and there you go. But it was more valuable because they talked to people. They asked them, what do you need? What do you want? And then they, they took ownership of it. And now that's, that's their school. That's not the school that they built. That is their school that they have. Um, so, and a lot of times, you know, poverty is a complex issue. You know, I'm not saying that, that work groups or mission groups are bad. You know, they're all with it. You know, those examples that I told you, all those people have the best of intentions. They probably raised a lot of money. They spent a lot of time. They worked really hard. Um, but sometimes if you're just ministering at people and not with people, then it, it's not the best use of, of those resources. Um, and poverty is a complex issue. You know, sometimes you can give people money or you can give them food or you can give them old clothes. That might help them out for a little while, but that's not going to solve. Sometimes that doesn't solve the problem. You know, poverty is a complex issue and sometimes it's caused by, you know, corrupt government, um, inequitable taxes, um, bad trade deals. Um, and there's a lot of things that you can't fix. If you're helping a person, you might give them money or food or, or help them out. And maybe that helps them out for a little bit, but you know what that person is facing might be more complex than, than a one-time fix. And so that's why it's so important that we listen to people and that we work with people and that we're not just coming in and trying, and trying to help them one time or just deciding that we know what's best for them. And Nehemiah did this, you know, and he didn't just stay and build the wall and then left. He, he was there for years. He, he got to know the people. There were people who were being unfairly taxed by the government. There were people that were being oppressed. He stood up for those people. He, he was there to fight for those people. Um, so as I say all that to say, you know, all of you have a purpose. Every single person in here has a calling. There is something that God wants you to do. And are you doing the work to build a bridge? Are you, you know, 
asking God, put me in a position where I can, I can make this happen, where I can fulfill God's purpose in your life. What I would ask you is, what's holding you back? What are you afraid of? Do you know what God wants you to do, but you just think, I don't know how to get there. It's too big. It's too great. You know, if you pray, if you earnestly pray, if you earnestly surrender yourself, God can, can put you in a position where you can achieve that. And it doesn't have to be a great thing. You know, not all of us are called to greatness, but we are all called to do great things. You know, I'm probably never going to be as good at this as, you know, Billy Graham, but preaching is a great thing. What you do is a great thing and you may not be the best at it, but if you're doing, if you're doing the Lord's work, if you're submitting yourself to him, if you're asking him to show you how to, how to live your life, he can do that in you. And it might be as small as helping one person. It might be as grand as building a church or a school or a foundation, but you can do that not through your own work, not through your own will, but if God's there to help you do that. So we're going we're gonna to play uh, some music. We're going to enter in a time of prayer. And I want you to really think, I want you to really focus in this next few minutes. What's my, what's my purpose? What's my calling? Am I taking steps to achieve that calling today? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you so much for the time to listen to your word, Lord, and really hear what you have to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would submit, myself included, every single day to what it is that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.